All right, so um, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Uh, I ask that you all would be praying for me as I preach this message tonight. Um, Any sick, uh, hurting, um, any going through trials or persecutions, um, suffering among us. um, Yeah, so we're going to remember those um, as we open up. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for allowing us to gather uh, together tonight in this place that we could spend time in the study of your word. I I ask that uh, you would um, seal my lips, that I speak nothing of myself, but that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, speak through the reading of your word, uh, speak through the pages of this book in such a way that you would transform us as a body of believers, that you would transform us as individuals, uh, that we would be a people who seek your face in all that we do, that we would be a people who rejoice in you, uh, that we would be a people who stand firm in the grace that's been given to us through the work of Christ. Uh, I ask that you would help me uh, to make known the truths of this gospel that we're studying through in the book of Romans Lord, uh, sometimes I feel so inadequate and sometimes I feel like if I had another five to ten years to prep through this book that I would still be inadequate to uh, to preach it. And I just ask that you would uh, remove those fears, Lord, that you would um, be with the sick that were not able to join us tonight because of their, their sickness. Um, and I pray for Kip and Donna as they're away. Um, enjoying time with themselves, that you would just bless them in that, that that would be time uh, that they would cherish and hold on to. Um, and I pray that uh, as they're there, that they know that your flock is being taken care of here. I thank you for sending to us so many men who uh, would preach your word. I thank you for the word that was spoken this morning. Uh, guide us now as we open up your word. Guide me that I would speak no untruth, but that I would speak only the truth that your scripture makes clear to us. It's in Christ's name, and it is always for his glory. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tonight. We're going to go from verse 1 through verse 11. And there's going to be one particular truth that I want us to see in this, um, and it, and it's related to things that we've been touching along the way. Um, this is the idea that we stand firm in grace. Okay, so as we're kind of pushing through the text tonight, the idea that I want us to kind of wrestle with, the idea that I want to try to do my best to to bring forward out of this text is the idea that we stand firm in grace. Not just that we stand in grace, right? But that we in fact stand firm in grace. And I, and I want us to explore what it means to stand firm in grace. Uh, I want us to ask questions like, do, do our trials and tribulations or do the circumstances of our lives affect the standing that we have in grace? Uh, and what do I mean by standing in grace? These are going to be things that we kind of explore through as we push through the text tonight. So I would ask that as I preach this again, that you would uh, pray for me that I do justice to this text 
um, and pray that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, that, that the truth of this text would, uh, would sink down um, and grow down deep uh, within us. Quickly, I would like for us to do kind of a review of what we've been looking at up to this point uh, in the text. So um, just really quickly, we've, been, we've talked about in the past the problem of sin, this make, making known to us our inability to justify ourselves before God. Therefore, there, has, there is the need for justification to be put forth for us on our behalf. God having put Christ forward as the propitiation for sin so that His wrath would be satisfied in the cross and us finding righteousness in Christ. Right, And then we looked the last two weeks at an example of faith in who? Abraham, are we awake tonight? In who? Abraham? And last week, specifically, we were talking about the promise. And in this promise, what was the big thing that, we wanted to, that I wanted to make clear to you guys and girls as we were kind of coming through that text? That the promise was made by who? And the promise was going to be fulfilled by who? And the promise today will be fulfilled by who? Can this promise that God's put forward fail? No, it's working out in you. You are in fact the playing out of this promise. God promised that all nations would be blessed through what He was going to do through Abraham. And you are part of the result of that. And also, one thing that I want you to understand and to get out of this, is you are also involved in that. Right? So this Gospel that God has promised, that He says that He has made, right? We looked at, or He said, I have made you into many nations, right? And then He continues in, let's, let's just go back quickly and review uh, that last week where we left off, uh, or where we started off, excuse me. Uh, that I have, the promise that we were kind of looking at last week. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 5, No longer shall your name be called Abraham or Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And he goes on to say, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be your God and you, uh, to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offsprings after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be there, God. So as we explore this idea of the promise, there's one thing that I want us to, to kind of step back and look at because uh, I kind of left it out last week. Um, I feel it's, it's, it's probably good. Um, there's going to be some of the ideas that are going to come out of this that play well into some of the ideas that we're going to be digging into this week in chapter 5. But it's this idea of being so, sojourners. Sojourners. Um, and God having made this promise to Abraham that he has essentially done already and he's continuing 
to do today. Even though he made this promise, I want us to look in chapter 15 at what he also says. So this is just before God's been making promises all along the way. Um, And here's what he tells Abraham about his descendants, right? So uh, chapter 15, if we look in verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So... There's a lot that could be seen in that particular passage of text. One thing that I want us to get without a doubt locked down in this is that not only is God aware of what's going to happen to us, but He's in absolute control over each and every aspect of it. Right? God makes a promise to Abraham that He's continuing to double down on time and time again. And He's telling him even. He's telling him, these children that I've promised to you, they're going to go and they're going to be enslaved. Right? They're going to be sojourners in a land that is not their own. Right? And He promises again that He's going to lead them out of this land. I want us to get a picture in our minds that this is in fact a glimpse of what the church is going to look like. Right? So I want to, this is, He's speaking of Israel here, and specifically He's speaking of Israel being slaves to Egypt. God calling them out as free people, and then them wandering through the wilderness until finally they make their way to the promised land. Now I want us to step back for a second, and I want us to see that this is a glimpse or an image of what we in fact ourselves today are going through. Right? You have been called out of slavery. You have been called as a Christian out of slavery to sin. Yet you find yourselves standing in a land that is not your own. You find yourselves in some ways wandering through this land. Sometimes you forget. And sometimes the circumstances of this life cause you to to be blinded to the fact that there is a, a land for which you will step foot into. That's grounded in the promises of God. So just like Israel would face trials and troubles, they would in fact be enslaved, and then they would come out, and you see what they did after they were set free. right? How often do we find ourselves in that same kind of situation? Right? Where we're freed, but we still, we still long for that slavery. If you go and look at the picture that Israel gives afterwards, they're like, man, we had it better in Egypt. We had it better when we were slaves, really? Really? So I want us to get this idea, this understanding that the promises of God in no way fail to see or understand the issues that are going on in your lives. Right? I want us to get that. 
I want us to understand that truly God is in no way caught off guard by what's going on, good or bad, in each and every one of our lives. And in fact, I want us, do you, do you think that God could have worked it out in such a way that they never became slaves in Egypt? Do you think He could have done that? So, you're te- I don't want you to think about this. I want you to think about your answer to this. So you're telling me that God could have created a world in which they never became slaves for 400 years. And yet He chose that path over the non-slave path. Why? He has a purpose. Is that true? Christians, is that true of your life? Does He have a purpose for you? How do you know this to be true? How do you know that He in fact has a purpose for the struggles that you're going through today? How do you know that He cares at all about what you're going through today? How do we know that? How can we... Rest in that. How can we stand firm in that? Through faith. Through faith in Him. Through faith in His promises that He will in fact fulfill them. Okay? And I want us to get this. We're going to kind of explore into this a little bit tonight. But I want you to understand, what is the most clear evidence that God can and will and has, you're going to be scared of the word, foreordained these type of things for good of His people? What's the one event? The one event is Christ. On the cross. In this single event, we see that what men do for evil, God, from before they thought the first evil thought, was working it for what? For good. For good. Purposed it. Planned it. Set it forth in motion. Promised it. Even knew, like we look back at Israel, even knew the bad things that were going to come along the way, all along the way. Working each and every one of these events out for what? Good. Go back in Scripture. And here's one of those things. As we start digging into the truths that we're going to dig into tonight, there's so much backstory to this that I, can't, I don't have time to fill it all in for you. But I would ask you to go back. Revisit Scripture in the Old Testament. Time and time again. Look at each and every account. Look at everything that was intended for bad and see what God is doing in all of this. See if He fails in any way in the big scheme, in the big picture, to work these things out for good. Not only for His good and His glory, but ultimately for your good as well, believers. 
God is doing something that's so big. And it may, it may span past your lifetimes. But you know and you stand in grace firmly fixed in the work that God has done. Trusting in Him. Hoping in Him. That He is who He's claimed to be. And then He's shown that to be true in the work that He's done on the cross. Right? So, let's open up now in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Therefore what? What's the, he's, he's clearly here basing this off of something, this, this idea of justification by faith, right? So when he says, therefore, these, this argument from the fact that you can't do it, right? So the sin problem shows us that we can't do it. Because we're sinners bound and slaved to sin, we can't be justified before God by our efforts, right? He's shown us that. And then He's shown us how, through the life and example of Abraham, having placed his faith in the God who makes promises, to carry forth those promises, even when, get this, Abraham laid his head in the dirt, having never seen with his own eyes the cross, yet he held that the God who'd made him promises would fulfill those promises. Faith. And because of this faith, God says what? He's counted him righteous. He's counted him righteous that he could do that because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. He was looking forward to that even as he was counting men and women righteous in the Old Testament. He was always looking forward to the cross and it's in the cross that anyone has ever been counted righteous. The only way is how? Through the cross of Christ. Through the grace that God has given. Therefore, Right? I think we need a, a, a deep understanding. This is why as I go through this, I say, Lord, I hope that I have not failed you in, in any way to present this because the therefores will not have the same kind of weight if I have failed you. Lord, forgive me where I might have failed you and I pray that you make up for it with your Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Does that rest on you? Do you you get what that means? You have peace with God. Listen. Listen to what that means. You have peace with God. Therefore, you don't have to work to make peace with God. You have peace with God. Therefore, you do not have to worry about how He looks at you. What He thinks of you. You have peace with God. So when you're going through trials in your life, it is not because He is angry with you. It is not because He's pouring His wrath out on you. Christians, do you get this? Do you understand this? Because sometimes when we go through things in this life, 
We think it's because of what we've done. Now sometimes, you know, you, you murder somebody, you're going to go to jail. It's because of what you've done. Right? So we have to, at times, pay the price for the things that we do. So I don't want you to think that this is just a, a wipe everything out and there's no responsibility in this life. Right? I don't want you to, to think that that's what I'm telling you or, or what I'm trying to, to, to put out there for you. But what I want you to get across is that if you have placed your faith in Christ, it's finished. Right? The work is completed in Christ. So there is no more striving for satisfying God. There is no more striving so that He sees you in a better light than He saw you yesterday. Right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I want us to see this. I want us to understand this. That what's happened to us as believers, when we have placed our faith in Christ and the work that He has done, you have been justified. There is no more need for further justification. Right? This, in fact, means for you that the peace that you have with God, the standing that you have, where you can run to Him instead of fear and have to run away from Him, is fixed. It's not changing. You see, because we tend to be changing. Right? Like if I get mad at somebody, I might stay mad at somebody. And my actions may come out of that. But I want you to, I want you to understand this. And this is why we'll harp on this again and again and again. Because so many of us, I say us, so many of you have a misunderstanding about the way that God looks at you as a believer. And you're weighed down by this. Right? You're weighed down. Now, there's many times and many ways that we, need to, that we need to take a lower opinion of ourselves. Okay? And we'll get to some of those, but when it comes to the way that God views you, right, when, when it comes to the way that He sees you, you can't see higher than what He's done. There's no looking past the height that He set for how He looks at you. Because it's not in you. It's in Christ, right? And it's out of this that we've been given a standing of peace where before we were enemies, right? Before you were an enemy of God. And you rightly should have been fearful of the wrath of God. Because it was due you. You were worthy of it. Now, you're in Christ if you believe and you've been given a position or a place of peace with God. And how does this happen? Chapter 5, verse 1. Through who? I want you to pay attention through this run of text that we're going through. At the number of times and the number of ways that you see this word through. Because all the good things that we're going to see. Every single one of these is through something. 
Very important. Not you. Right? It's not through you. Your peace with God does not come through you. And this is why I say that you have a, a messed up, oftentimes messed up view of how God sees you because you do think that it comes through you. The peace that you have with God does not come from you or your efforts. It comes through who? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through who? And what has happened through Christ? What's happened? We've obtained something. We've obtained. Past tense, you've obtained. Believer, you have obtained what? Access to grace. God is a gracious God, yes? Could He have just poured it out? Could He have just poured out salvation to all? No. No. He, he could not have. He could not have just poured out grace to all. Why? Because all are sinners and all deserve what? Death. So if he had just said, everybody gets out, out of hell free, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna declare it, then what would he be? He would be unjust. So this obtaining, comes through, again, through who? Through Christ. This is a, this is very countercultural, right? This idea that the only way that you can stand in any state of peace or any, any right standing before God has to come through only one way. This is very countercultural. Okay? This is against everything that you will hear when you go out into this world, right? Every other religion will bat back at you and say, well, I live a life better than you. Many of them may very well live lives better than many of you. But you know what? The best that any man could ever put forward falls dramatically short of the mark. And this is what we're saying. That the position in which you stand, you did not obtain it. You did not work towards it. Christ did. Let's read this again. Through Him, we have also obtained access by what? By faith. Into this grace. So, couldn't be poured out to everybody. Because God cannot just give get out of jail free cards. Right? So how does it come? Christ on the cross and faith in this work. Not your work, His work. Not your value or worth or effort 
He is. And now, believer, you stand in grace. Man, and I gotta tell I gotta tell y'all, I gotta tell you that I stand here oftentimes and I look out and I think I must not be I must not be doing it. Like I'm I must not be making the point clear. That or we've taken it so for granted that I can say we stand in grace. And you'd be ready to go home. Friends, because of what Christ has done, you have peace with God that could never be attained by what you've done. And you stand in this through faith in Him. Never to be shaken by what the world has for you. I want you to I want you to get this because I think if this truth weighs on us how it should, then we learn through this how to be fearless, how to walk through trials that would have broken us before rejoicing and living in front of a world who would be broken by these things in such a way that they ask, what's the difference maker for you? Why is it that you've learned in every situation how to rejoice? In every situation. Look at, yeah, Paul is an... Amazing example of this. You can go and look in Scripture where Paul boasts and ups and downs, whether life's got good or whether life's got bad. How many of us, when we look at that Scripture, if we're honest with ourselves, think, you know, I don't, I can't, I couldn't. There's, there's no way. Like, how do you, how do you do that? What's the, what's the difference? Man, Paul wasn't just playing church. This. This, like it had a real effect on him. Am I the only one that sometimes it feels like we're just playing? Lord, move us. Show us your truth. So, standing in grace, now, we rejoice in hope. Do you find yourself, as a Christian, as a believer, resting in the promises that God has made, living a life of rejoicing? Do you rejoice in hope? How many of us can say that that's true, that as we live each and every moment of our lives, that we find ourselves rejoicing in hope? If you don't, you should I pray that the truth of God's Word, the truth of the Gospel would weigh on us in, in such a way that would be so heavy that, that it would just crush us until all we could do is rejoice in the hope. 
right? Like I would, if I were going to, if I were going to pray for you, if I were going to pray for you, I would not for you pray easy times, right? As a church, like I, I don't feel that going forward in the future, what we have as believers is going to be ease and comfort, right? This is, this is why I'm, I'm preaching this book, because here's, here's what I believe. I believe that what we have as a community of believers, in the, in the culture and society that, that we're living in today, I believe that when I look forward, and I pray that this is not the case, I pray that there is revival in America. But what I see, is I see a church that if... That is not the case that they will not survive. I see a church that has been so overwhelmed with the comforts of this world that it has lost the ability to rejoice in the hope that we have for the next world. Is that you? Do you find yourself so comfortable in this life that you do not in any way rejoice in the hope for the next. Probably many of us, probably many of us have thought the thought that the next life will be worse because it's going to look too much like church to us. So we don't rejoice in what's to come. We fear it. And we cling to this life, holding to this life, holding to the pleasures of this life, holding to the cares and the concerns of this life. Because we've lost sight of the promise that what's to come is much greater. Right? We've, we've maybe forgotten that we're just sojourners in this world and we've we've bought our land so that this is ours. We want to live here. I want to build my house here. I want my hope to be here. Is that the case for us? We stand in grace and we rejoice in hope. Not for what we have, not for what we can get here. Remember last week we talked about how the world is already ours. And, and if you were to go back and flip back to where we were in Genesis, do you see that God has promised Abraham that the land that he sojourned in would be the land that he would take claim of? So this world, man, it's already ours, right? We're already victors. Through no effort of our own, but through the work and effort of Christ. We, we hope in that. We stand firm in that. We rejoice in the hope of what? What does the text go on to say? Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you, do you realize, do you understand that the hope that you have is for not a small thing? Do you understand that the hope, the place that you stand and you look forward to, 
that thing which you should, your heart should be longing for, is no small treasure. It's no trinket. That it is the very glory of God. Why is it? And I, I, I stand here and I, and, I, and I find myself thinking too, like, well, this doesn't, this doesn't feel at all like the message should be feeling. Right? Like, when I read this in my quiet place, this is like rejoicing. And then I stand here. I don't see rejoicing. And I think, Lord, is it in my delivery? Are we deaf to these things? Have we become numb to these things? Have we exhausted the depths? We cannot hope in an eternity to exhaust the depths. Here's what I think. You are sick on junk food. That whether it's what you read in your devotional time, or whether it's what you hear the TV pastor say, that the truth that you know is only a dim glimmer of the truth of the hope that you have. So that I hope that as you go home, and these truths weigh on you, that they would crowd out the junk food that you've been filling yourself with. Because you'll fill up on junk food. And you'll feel sick and you'll have enough. But the truth of what we have to hope for, the glory of God, is one that will satisfy your hunger. And drive you to eat more and more of it. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that. Verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I want you to get this. I want you to get... It should sound ridiculous. It should sound ridiculous that you should rejoice in your sufferings. But I want you to, I want you to know this. Believer, you should rejoice in your sufferings. How many of you? And this is I ask. I ask how many of you going through something today? 
How many of you will be going through something tomorrow that you don't even know yet? God does. Rejoice in it. And you can rejoice in it. If, if, and for some of you it may sound crazy, for some of you it just maybe, I, I don't get that, I'm not there yet, or I don't really see what you're saying there, chew on it, don't just throw it out, sit in that, work through that, why is it that we can say that, why is it that the, that the preachers of the New Testament seem to be so chipper with things like rejoice when they were going through beatings? When many of them gave up their lives, why is it that they can rejoice in suffering? Not, he doesn't give much time here to the happy times, right? Do we see that? Though we, yes. So we're, the Holy Spirit enables. We're gonna we're gonna touch on that a little towards the end of this. Get let's look let's look at this. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So hope is for, is for what? Something you're not quite totally taking grasp of, right? Because you don't hope for something that you have. Right? So our hope is in something that we're looking forward to. Not something that we have, something that we're looking forward to. And he goes straight from that, hope for the glory of God, that's the most amazing thing that we can hope for. And then he says, now you can hope for the good times. No. Immediately. Not only can we hope for the glory of God, which is the most amazing thing that we could hope for. And I want you to get that. Your hope is for the glory of God. Your hope is for the glory of God. Your hope is for the very glory of God. You do not even see it. You do not get it. Your hope is not on the outcome of the test that you're taking tomorrow. It's not on your well-being. It's not on your job. It's not on if everything goes your way. It's not if you live a long life. It's not if you retire well. Your hope is in none of those things. Your hope is in the glory of God. And I can promise you this. When we stand there together, there's not a single one of us who will doubt that then. You may not know how to shout for it yet, but you will learn when you see it. That thing that you should be hoping for, I can promise you when you see it, there will be no doubt why that is what you should have been hoping for all along. Do you hear me? Am I preaching to you yet? Not only that, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings. Why can we rejoice? Because we stand firm. Do you hear me? You can rejoice because you stand firm. And it's not of what you have done. It's in what Christ has done. You stand firm, knee deep, neck deep in the grace that God has given to you. So that when sufferings come, we don't make little of suffering. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You will cry tears. But you can rejoice. Because the worst of outcomes. 10,000 years from now, you will rejoice over them. You will sing songs of those trials as the children of Israel sang songs of their days in slavery and how God set them free. You will sing songs of the Lamb that was slain. We have such a screwed up understanding of what eternity looks like. You will sing songs of a slain lamb. For eternity, you will rejoice in all the things that now you may question. That now you may struggle with. That now you would call suffering. For eternity, you will rejoice in the lamb that was slain. And how he worked it all out. In me. So now, and I want to tell you this, that you may face something tomorrow and you may find yourself coming back to these passages of text like this and you may find yourself saying, Lord, I don't know how I can rejoice in struggling. And I'm going to tell you that that's okay. That God is going to refine in you through your struggling. So that... This is the this is the beauty. This is the beauty of this is that you will not be crushed by your trials. You will not. You may be perplexed by them. You may not understand them on this side of the sun. But God is working in each and every one of them. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. I want you to stop with me here for a second. Do you know this truth? Do you know it? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing. How will you, how will you know unless you're in here? I, I hope that messages like this or those kind of messages that would solidify maybe for you that you would know. Right? When I, when I preach, I don't... Like, I love to see smiling faces, but I, I love to see faces more than endure. Right? So if I have to preach a thousand messages to you like this, that I come away absolutely exhausted and with a headache, then I'll preach them. I'll preach them. Because you will not question it. 
You'll know it. These truths will be truths that the Holy Spirit drives down into your bones that you could never escape even if you thought you wanted to. You will know. In eternity, we will be having conversations about that message that you preached that one time. And how the very next day, it hit me. And how God Himself, through the working of the Holy Spirit, causes men and women to encourage and lift up one another so that we stand firm. Not in our own works. Not in our own boasts. Because this is what I want to promise you on that day, whenever you're like, man, I remember that message that you preached. You know who we're going to glorify? The Lamb that was slain. Because it's in grace that we stand firm. And we stand firm in grace through faith only because the work of Christ on the cross. Only because the Lamb was slain. So we know, believers, I want you to to get that. I want you to wrestle with that word, this idea of knowing that you can rejoice in your sufferings because you know, know the truth that we're about to go through. Know this truth, whether you know it because you've experienced and, and you've seen it to be true, or whether you know it because you were told and you hope in that truth. One day, this world will give you an opportunity to know that this is absolutely true for you, believer, who hopes in the glory of God. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Some translations are going to read patience there. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. So here's what I want you to get at. Here's the mentality. Like I want to train you to be warriors for Christ. And I say that in no small way. Right? You are at war. Whether you would like to believe it or not. Whether you feel ready for it or not. And I'm not just talking about what your friends are going to say to you. I'm talking about there is spiritual warfare for the lives, the souls of men and women going on right now. And the Holy Spirit has drafted you into the army of God. You are warriors. Whether you're 90 and you feel like it's a hard time just getting from your car to here. Or whether you're a kid and you've got your whole life in front of you. Right? Be ready for this. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. What is that? As you go through trials, these trials press in on you. These trials weigh on you. You face things that you would have never thought you could have withstood and you will withstand them. And this comes not of your own efforts. I want you to get this. We're kind of working there. But I want you to get this. That you, believer, you will stand. You will stand. You will endure. Your character will be strengthened. It will be. 
And you may say that I can't. I don't know how. And I'm going to say, yeah, you can't. And you would never know how. But God's working through the work of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to in a second. And endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. I want you to get this. That when you step foot into this world, the thing that you hope for, they're going to tell you it's foolish. Right? And I want to, I want to, I want Let's just be honest here. It is. It is. If Christ is not raised from the grave, what you hope for is just foolish. Okay? Because you hope for something that's not found here. Right? Do you get this? That your hope is for the glory of God. Do you see that? Dimly, maybe? Dimly? So you're going to go out there and you're going to live lives... For another world, when if Christ has not risen from the grave, you've wasted the only shot you get. And if Christ is not raised, then that is the most foolish thing that you, you could do. But Christ is raised. Christ is raised from the dead. And our hope is fixed in that. Our hope is fixed in that. Because God's love, this is verse five, uh, well, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love had be, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You will endure. Trials will come. Heartache will come. Tears will come. You will endure. You will endure. Do you hear me? In that moment when you think you will not. In that moment when you're about to break. In that moment when all hope is lost. The Holy Spirit will empower you. This is the hope that we have as believers. Right? We're getting a glimpse here of the Holy Spirit, right? For helping us to hope and not be ashamed of the hope that we have, right? The Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we're going to see as we press on through the next major section of the text, we're going to be talking about sanctification. Do not set aside the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot work on your own. You cannot do on your own. You cannot succeed on your own. Believer, the beautiful thing is, is that you are not on your own. You are not on your own. And in case, in case you were to ever question where your hope is fixed and how firmly you stand there. Let's look at verse 6 of chapter 5. For while we were still weak. 
Okay? So when you're going through things, when you're dealing with what this world has put in your face, when you feel as though you are going to break, understand this, that God did not first call you to be strong and then call you to salvation. While you were still weak. Think about this. Let, let, that, let that sink down deep when you feel you're inadequate. Let that sink down deep when you think you're not equipped. When you think you're not ready for the task before you. Let that sink down deep. That God didn't first let you get ready. Right? That He didn't first let you work a couple things out. Right? That while you were still weak. Verse 6. For while we were still weak. At the right time. While you were weak. And on God's timing. There's so much that we could pull out of this text here, right? I want you to I want you to get that it's not going to be on your timing. It's not when you see it's right for you. I want you to and this is this is tough for me. This is tough for me because like I say I man, I've got so many high hopes for you as a church, so many things that I've been praying for you for literally like a decade that God would do in us as a church and 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 for me to sit and be like, "Lord, wish you'd speed that stuff up." We should do that a little bit faster. These are the kind of things that I wrestle with, right? That God's timing, friends, it's perfect. It's perfect. So even as I wrestle with this timing, you know what? When we're talking about this conversation on the other side of eternity, and we're looking back at what He's done from now to then, do you know what we're going to say? Praise the Lamb that was slain. And the wisdom and the timing of the God who sent him. At the right time, Christ died. For who? For the ungodly. Again, friends, he didn't call you first to be holy. He didn't call you first to fix the issues that you've got in your life. He did this while you were weak, sinful, and ungodly. And He did it at the perfect time. The perfect time for what? Your plans? My plans? His plan. Perfectly timed. Perfectly executed. And somehow He does it with the weak. Somehow He does it with the ungodly. Because He does it. Through us. He's working. If we'll open our eyes, we'll see it. If we'll look for it, we'll see it. So while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died 
for us. I want you to get this, especially as you're going through trials and you're going through struggles and you're, you're going through persecutions and, and you just feel like, man, this life's got nothing for me. It doesn't. Your hope is in the next. Get that. Sometimes God allows these things to open our eyes up to the fact that this world is not ours. We're passing through it. Right? We're sojourners. In this world. But you know what's amazing? <laughs> the land in which Abraham was a sojourner. Sojourner. That land was his. Right? So we're passing through. Because God's going to remake this whole thing. It's going to be better than we could have ever hoped for. Better than we could ever imagine. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hold to that. Hold to that. Help that. Let that help you to stand firm in grace, rejoicing both in the good times and also rejoicing in suffering. Because it's not a matter of your strength, it's not a matter of your righteousness. The standing for which you have is not what you have done, it's what Christ has done for us. Do you believe in that? Have you placed your faith in that? Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. So get this. Because here's what's... Here's what, and it's easy because our flesh tends towards this. When you're going through trials, the first thought that your flesh will tell you is this is God's anger at you. Right? How, do we know this to be true? When we go through things in our life, is that not what we tell ourselves? Do we not immediately start thinking back to that sin and think, Ah, I knew He'd catch me. And now here I am. I'm going to pay for that one. But you get that that's not what's taking place for you. Right? Do you, that's what this text is telling us. Right? That you weren't good and you weren't strong, and then God said, You're mine. So stay good, stay strong. Right? Is that what happened to any of y'all in here? It's not, that was not my experience. It wasn't like you're a good guy and you're, you're strong, you're strapping, you're going to do good things for the kingdom. Now don't trip up, don't slip up, don't mess that thing up, because then I'll be mad. Right? No, we were weak, we were scrawny. We were ungodly heathens, and He called us out of that. And He's making us holy. He's doing a work. So that when trials come your way, combat it with that. Trials come your way, you're not strong enough. You know, I was never strong enough. And that's why I stand, not in my strength, but I stand in grace. When the struggles come your way, and you think to yourself, I'm not righteous enough. Never was I righteous. Always I was ungodly. But I do not stand in my own righteousness. I stand firmly fixed in grace. That's where you stand. That's where you stand as a believer. Firmly fixed in grace. Not your work. Christ's work. Get that. Understand that. For 
if while we were enemies, get this, your enemies before Christ. But what do we know that because of the justification back in chapter 5, verse 1? Therefore, since we have now been justified by faith, we have what? Peace. We have peace where you were once what? For if while we were enemies, enemies do not have peace. You make war with enemies. You are no longer an enemy, right? But you were. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Get this. Get this. You were an enemy of God when He came to rescue you. You were not acting as though you were helpless and in distress. Save me. You were in outright rebellion and He saved you. Outright rebellion. We treat this sin thing as though we're not headlong into it. Fully sold to it. Completely desiring it. Helpless. No. No. You were an enemy of God. And He came to reconcile you to Himself. How does He do this? By the death of His Son. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Do you get that? Do you get that? That He came for you while you were an enemy? Christ laying His life down for you, so that you could be reconciled to God, and now you think He's going to despise you, Christian? Now you think that? Really? That's the picture of the God that you have in your mind? The kind of God that would do that? The kind of God that would spare no expense for you, and then toss you aside? Like He cared not for you. This is not the God that we serve. Get this. I want you to get this. I want you to understand the work of justification on you, for you, through the work of Christ is complete. Not to be added to. You are justified by the work of Christ alone and your faith in Him given to us by the grace of God. Not as though we would work for it. Not as though we would have ever labored for it. But as enemies, He's reconciled us by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Do you know what we have hope for? You will be rescued. You will be saved. Verse 11. More than that, We also rejoice in God. So much rejoicing in this text. And I I pray that this lands on us. Today maybe would be awesome. um, If that would be God's timing. And if not, Lord, you you know how that goes. Um, Beat me into submission if you must. 
Uh, I know that I'll trust in your timing. Um, more than that, we also rejoice in God how. I, I want you to get this, that all the good things that you have as a believer, none of them are because of what you do as a believer. Right? You rejoice in God through. You're rejoicing is through. All that you can do, you've been, abled, been enabled to do through. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know what it means to be justified? It means to be reconciled. God has reconciled us to Himself. Through His grace we stand. And I pray that through Christ, tonight as we go into the worship time, that we can rejoice in God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You. I love You. Um, how oftentimes I prepare, Lord, and, and it seems as though something else happens here. Huh, that's crazy. Lord, you are amazing. And I'm sorry for my sin. I repent where I fail you. Lord, I see you. I see you at work even in my own mind as I preach. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for these people, my brothers and sisters, that we would look forward finding our hope in the glory of God that we would rejoice in God whether we be in moments and times in our lives in which we are struggling Lord let us rejoice in those and in that give testimony to the hope that we have that it is greater than the thing that weighs against us Lord if it's in our own minds that we battle with depressive thoughts, let us wage war against those thoughts with the hope that we have in Christ alone. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> Lord, that your people would be moved however much closer to you that you would bless the word that's gone out tonight, that it would have a refining and sanctifying work on our hearts, that we would, that we would learn to rejoice whether the time or the season would seem to be against it, that we would rejoice nonetheless for the hope that we have is greater than every trial that is greater than every struggle it is greater than every circumstance and 10,000 years from now we will be singing about these truths 
Lord, I pray that we would take hold of them sooner rather than later. I thank you for Christ and the price that was paid that we would have such a great hope. 